1: Today we are here. What we're going to talk about is... Existentialism. Existentialism. So it's going to be the first time in the podcast where we talk about a school of philosophy rather than a topic. That's true. That's a good point. Or is it just a school of philosophy? Yeah, it is. is. There's no such thing outside of philosophy.
0: Which is already an interesting question, as you always say. Um, So whenever I bring up existentialism to my classes, I ask where they've heard the word before, because this root existential quote-unquote I feel like gets thrown around all the time Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean the thing that the existentialist philosophers use when they mean it and I had this pet peeve like whenever I watch politicians you know take a shot every time someone says existential threat to our country and I'm like (laughs) so I I see where they where they came from with that and sometimes I, I pull it out of them like oh I've heard of it like existential crisis uh, you know, you think of the French guy with the cigarette, and I'm yep. like, so that's what we're going to talk about today.
1: <laughs> it's the French guy with the cigarette. <laughs> it's the French guy. Right, right, right. <laughs> which is funny, though, because where he starts is not France, right? Mm, right. Where he starts is Denmark, rather, mm-hmm. with this strange guy with this strange philosopher. The man from Copenhagen. Exactly. Soren Kierkegaard, right? Mm-hmm. That comes out with this idea, which is fairly new for philosophy. We can say, hmm, well, Nothing is really new in philosophy. Let's put it this way: <laughs> nothing is new since Aristotle in philosophy. Right? Probably. Like, what is it?
0: Who said it that all philosophy is just footnotes to Plato? Uh,
1: Whitehead? Is it possible? It might have been Whitehead. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. So, but I'm not sure actually. Um, however, the guy is the one that introduces us to this idea uh, that what's important within philosophy is not so much to understand cosmological questions, to understand the way the universe, the universe works, to understand actually if something is um, objective of no, or not, right? Epistemology is not important. Mm-hmm. What's important is something else. What's important is rather understanding questions have to do with our subjectivity, with our individuality, and therefore with our existence. Mm. Um, and that opens the door to a completely different, different kind of philosophy.
0: It does, and I, I think... One of the things that Kierkegaard and all these other people do is they play with the word existence, especially Heidegger and Mm -hmm. Sartre do this. But even Kierkegaard, it's like, you know, we say that this table exists, we say that the computer exists, and then you say I exist. But clearly, you don't mean the same thing when you say I exist that you do when you say the bottle exists, for example. Mm -hmm. And so there's this... Like you're saying, sudden acknowledgement and focus on the uniqueness of well, human existence.
1: Exactly, and subjectivity and individuality, partially, right? right? Mm-hmm. Which I think takes away... And again, at the beginning is a reaction to what's happening before, historically, to the concentration on, again, on reason even, right? That this hyper-rationalization of the universe. Like and Hegel. Understand. Exactly, yeah. that's, that's the guy. And then we move towards this idea that Existence is something that it cannot even be fully understood,
0: hmm.
1: at least rationally, somewhat. And it's it's interesting, and it's usually you know, well, even non-philosophers are interested in this topic because it brings about and it, it, it works around some categories that are really important for us: hmm. life, that, uh the meaning of life. Right? If there is uh, one thing that I associate with existentialism is this look for a meaning. Right. Of our ex- uh, looking for the meaning of our existence
0: yeah I, and so existentialism is interesting because it's like it has this metaphysical baggage mm-hmm. but ultimately it's axiological in the sense that it's about value yes. right and I kind of see it as nicely being in response to Kant right because in his own way there was a turn towards the subject yes and then now we're continuing that turn towards the subject, but instead of talking about these quote unquote abstract categories, we're talking about the lived subjective realm
1: yeah yeah in in a sense is uh again once more, there's this movement toward not what makes us a, a subject a subject in general terms, mm-hmm. necessarily, but rather is the lived experience right right? it is my lived experience which doesn't lead to necessarily understanding there's a relative term right not necessarily from a relativistic perspective but rather again lived experience is different than than relative experience
0: yeah and ultimately i think it's like even though there's that uniqueness that mindness that heidegger will talk about um this is a sh- there's some shared elements, right? Like mm-hmm. the human condition. Yes. And again, it's not merely abstract, devoid of content. It's like, what are the givens of existence and how do they impact
1: us? And, and I think probably we should start uh, from this perspective. Um, we, we should probably um, try to figure out what they mean by existence to begin with, right? Sure. Even though it's not... Again, it's even difficult because each one of them... Yeah, should, has we, a different... should we do it like historically? Like, did you want to start with Kierkegaard or? It uh, doesn't, doesn't really matter. So
0: so what is this dude all about for you? Uh, Kierkegaard?
1: Yeah. Well, two things I would say. Uh, his thing is definitely this: the category of absurdity, the fact that mm. there's no real meaning, so to speak. The right. life is absurd. But it's also about accepting this and unifying this absurd experiences into something that is meaningful for us at the end of the day. From another perspective, it is accepting the the absurdity of the human condition mm-hmm. and making the best of it, right?
0: And and how how would you explain that absurdity? Because Camus has a way later, you know, mm-hmm. down the timeline. But what do you think characterizes the kind of absurdity that Kierkegaard was referring to?
1: Probably has to do with the with the con- He says that there's certain concept. That we cannot fully grasp mm. because they're not concepts because it has nothing to do with understanding them, but it has to do with living these experiences again, and especially says that it's the fact that we cannot grasp things like my death, the idea mm. of my death, right, that will lead us to anxiety and despair, right. Um, but he doesn't use this terms as something negative; rather, he uses it as something positive, some forces that will drive you to. Make your life meaningful. Mm -hmm. So the meaning is not given for Kikar, but it's rather found within oneself, I wanna say. Okay. And understanding, and I think probably we can talk about this. So he says this We all know that we're gonna die, right? Mm -hmm. I always say, Well, if there's a room full of people, I hope it's not breaking news for you, but (laughs) we all gonna (laughs) die, right? And usually there is this consent, like, Yes. We're all going to die. However, I don't think, I say, that you really have thought that through. Right. It's like, no, seriously, think about it. Exactly. We are going to die. And I'm like, I know that you don't take this seriously. Mm -hmm. And then ask, okay, follow me. What are you doing later today? And, you know, somebody will say, well, I'll go home and then I'll study. And then what about tomorrow? What are your plans for tomorrow, for next week, and so on? And they will all say, and we will all say something like that. Kierkegaard will say, you see, you don't have really in mind the fact that you're going to die because you never premise this, unless I die, I will be doing that, right? <laughs> yeah. Which seems silly, but it's true. We don't have in mind the fact that our existence is going to end somehow. It's not there. It's not in our minds. And on another level, this is why Kierkegaard says we engage in petty thoughts and petty actions because we don't have in mind the fact that we can dissipate every single moment. Mm-hmm. We can be gone in a second. And if we had this in mind, then we will look for. We will stop looking and searching for stuff that are not useful. not, not even useful. Not meaningful to us. Mm-hmm. He thinks that you know the entire scientific endeavor, for example, right? It is important. It is objective. This look for objectivity. It's there. But is that really meaningful? He says, if tomorrow we figure out that, you know, the distance from the earth to the sun is different than what we have known up to now, would this change our life? We'll be upset maybe a little bit for a little while. We'll be definitely surprised. But it's not going to change my life. Right. However, if something that is subjective, if something that has to do with my own existence, I find out to be a lie, that will change everything, right?
0: And this kind of reorients, I'm thinking, the whole endeavor of philosophy, right? Because it's Absolutely. like we want to exam, uh, understand rather existence and reality, but mm-hmm. we need to understand existence and reality as lived. And that's very different. Absolutely. And this, this contemplation of the absolute negation of self, it's like when it hits you, it hits you. You know, it's not something you could just say and be like, "Oh yeah," then go carry on your day. It's, nope. It's crippling, right? This is this is the angst. Um, and what's interesting about Kierkegaard too, because a lot of people probably don't know this, he was a Christian. Yep. Right. So you think of existentialism, you think of like dark and gloomy atheism, but no, this this guy who is largely considered the father of existentialism is a
1: Christian. It is, and. And this plays a role, I believe, in that, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, he talks about the knights of faith, which are the true men, right? It's like like the Ubermensch, somewhere. Yeah, it's like his, his, his Nietzschean concept, you know? Yeah, it's this idea that at the end of the day, I understand the absurdity of life. I understand the fact that really there is no meaning that's given to the world. Mm-hmm. But I decide to unify the world into a meaning, mm-hmm. and I accept responsibility for the actions that I perform whatever I do as meaningful
0: and, and despite all these differences between the existentialists this seems to be the thing Absolutely. that ties them together and you mentioned the night of faith so uh, f- of course I'm, I'm thinking of fear and trembling yeah. right? so this, this biblical title yeah. uh, and in fear and trembling he's talking about the concept of Abraham and Isaac Yes. Uh, and how God told Abraham that he needed to kill his only son and yet you will receive through your son right so there's this paradoxical element in this life you'll receive something and so abraham is about to do it right he, he takes him up the mountain and it's not like he knew that god was going to stop him yeah. right he really really thought he was about to kill his son and he knew it was crazy yeah this is the point right like he knows that what he's about to do is not accepted it socially. It's absurd. It's absurd yeah. by all ethical standards.
1: It's wrong. And also in comparison with what God has told them before, because God yeah. told them, "Your son is going to be the one that's going to start my people." Yes. And but you he, have to kill him. But you have to kill. Him. <laughs> so, and so it doesn't make any sense for us, right? But he's not a knight of faith. He does. He has the courage to take matters in his own hands and yeah. follow through with his belief.
0: And at the last moment, right, the the angel stops him, grabs the arm and says, you've you've proven yourself. And so Kierkegaard uses this narrative, right, because he always writes under pseudonyms. Yeah. (laughs) What is this one? Uh, Johannes de Silencio, I think, right? Um, And he's like, of Abraham, I could say nothing. I I am uh, silent. And he uses this to explain how you have the individual and then you have what is considered ethical, by, yes. quote-unquote, earthly standards, by social standards. But these things weigh you down. This levels everyone, and it, like, makes people less unique. Uh, and leveling is another big theme, yes. like the Vague Essentialists talk about. And the idea is that to truly be free, to embrace your individuality, to be a knight of faith, you sometimes will have to take that leap over the ethical into the absurd.
1: Which is... A leap of faith, right? That's the
0: leap of faith. That's and what he's talking about. What does he about? call it? The, the teleological suspension of the exactly. ethical.
1: And uh, the interesting thing is that comes, as we're talking about leveling, and what makes me think of is the fact that this is the third level of development. Yes. Of... A human being, of an individual, right? Because mm-hmm. we all start uh, the what he calls it calls the aesthetic. The
0: aesthetic life, but not in the way we typically think. Exactly,
1: with Don Giovanni, right? Is the is the what is the?
0: I'm thinking of uh, either or. Either or, yes. The seducer.
1: The seducer, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking Don Giovanni because that's the mm-hmm. the the the, the toponym I would say that for, for in, a, in Italian culture, that's the, the okay, seducer, okay. right? Um, that you know goes from one thing to another, uh, searching for this. Love and beauty and sex, like being the thing that.
0: And this is, basically hedonism, I would say. Yes,
1: uh, looking for pleasure constantly, and yeah. even though he lives in pleasure, his whole life, at the end of the day, something's missing. He has some, nothing to show for, right? Right. That something is missing. Just, this person is not. You cannot find meaning in this.
0: So there's this
1: second level, which is the moral yeah. level, right? Where instead we have what? What's the? Um, where you live abiding those moral standards of which we're yes, talking yes by about.
0: The, by the universal he calls it
1: exactly which is i think is thinking about kant here and yeah. we, we can think back of the episode of on ethics that we had right
0: the 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 universal categorization of, of actions and exactly. things right exactly
1: so i'd say well you will act like that and you know it's better than the aesthetic stage right but still, not good yeah, enough. Because
0: you're living for something, but it's not completely individualistic. Exactly,
1: you're living for something, but you didn't, you didn't make this choice at the end of the day. Yeah, and you didn't have to think. Exactly, you just, you get there and you abide things. It's like when kids do things because that's the right thing to do, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And there is no, no. I'm thinking of Piaget and the stages mm. of of, of what, what what an infant will learn, right? And then there is a certain point where kids obey the rules. Because these are the rules. That's the rules. And they don't think about like
0: the the concrete operational yes. stage, right?
1: Exactly. And then finally, we need to go through this leap of faith to yeah. get to the point and do absurd things. Which, Which
0: sounds crazy. Like, and, and when I was in a, an undergrad, we we spent a lot of time on Kierkegaard because my professor at the time always emphasized like, you could hear this, and think like, oh, so if I just act crazily, you know, in contrast with what is universally considered ethical, then I am asserting my individuality and I'm therefore some kind of Kierkegaardian champion. And like, that's not always the case, right? You don't just, what was the example we talked about? Like, you know, you know, Leopold and Loeb, mm-hmm. these, these like kids that tried to craft the perfect murder. So they did this and they tried to justify their actions by being like oh we're the ubermensch so this is nietzsche but I, I think it's very similar to kierkegaard right so you know i murdered someone because hey it's not ethical but it's me being an individual
1: oh it's it's raskolnikov it's dostoevsky it's it's, it's something like
0: that right mm-hmm. and obviously it's empty at the end of the day but that's not what he means no, he doesn't mean to just go out and kill people and do crazy stuff
1: but i think he also it's not that because he also stresses the fact that you take responsibility for what you do. Yeah. Which is the thing you you know if I get to go to jail because of this I'll do mm-hmm. I don't hide this I'm not concealing the action that I am making like a murderer will do right Yeah
0: that makes sense
1: but it is rather uh, again I'm embracing that that is who I am if you want mm-hmm. uh, again. I think we're conflating Nietzsche and Kierkegaard here, but... It's that, so I hard.
0: Think, I think it's not similar. Because I remember writing something in grad school about, you know, two sides of the same individualistic coin <laughs> or something like that. So that's just stuck in my head.
1: They are similar.
0: But there, there is this idea that... Because this is significant, because a lot of people nowadays who are, quote-unquote, intellectually minded, have this really negative view of religion. And we've talked about this before. Yes. And they think this is kind of for sheep. This is for people who don't think. This is for... People aren't liberated mentally, and Kierkegaard totally doesn't agree. And this is because the thing that most people call Christianity Mm -hmm. is not what he thinks is really Christianity. Absolutely, it's Christendom.
1: Exactly, and he thinks about he always talks about the paradox, right? Mm -hmm. The paradox of Christianity, Mm -hmm. that because Christianity says it, it tells you that you should be like you should be Christ-like. But you can never be Christ-like because you're not divine. Yeah. So you need to kind of aspire to that, and there's always going to be a gap, right? Mm-hmm. But the way in which you can bridge the gap as, as much as possible, it is through those leaps.
0: And it's so weird. It's like you know, God is infinite, but somehow this infinite thing was embodied in a finite thing. Exactly. And and you have to sur- You have to reach a point where. You believe it regardless of the irrationality, right? And that's what faith is. Yes. So it, what's also interesting is that you will have Christian other Christian philosophers like Aquinas, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Anselm and Descartes, who we talked about, will, where they will try to prove God rationally. Exactly. And Kierkegaard is very much like... Nope, mm. that's not going to work. Right. Dr. Kogan always used to say to me, to prove him is to lose him, because the whole point... Is that, yeah, it's, uh, faith is the opposite. you got to believe it. you yeah. got to believe it.
1: Otherwise, it's not going to work. Right? Yeah.
0: And, like, how strong is your faith if you, I'll only believe if you give me proof?
1: But to connect to what you were saying before, today we would say that that's irrational. though for. is not good. While he's saying that is what makes you <laughs> yeah. really free. And that's really what makes you, at the end of the day, truly an individual, right? Mm-hmm. It's just insanity. It does it sound from, interesting. From, from our perspective. From yeah. Our, and I wonder, what do you think he means by that? Is it, what is this thing that, how do we reach freedom <sighs> and individuality just by throwing our, ourselves into this? Well, I, I think
0: it has to do with this idea of authenticity, where most of the time we're going around living in what Heidegger would call the they self, mm-hmm. right? And we can get to that more later. And when you're in the they, mm-hmm. that's, that's the leveling process. Like, you're all equal, and there's nothing that sets yourself apart from anything else. And so you're ingenuine, because you're not consciously making decisions. You're not defining yourself. You're not taking a stand on your being, to use that phrase. And if you can be authentically religious in the face of these people saying, like, oh, that's so stupid. You know, there's, there's no proof. Yeah then that there's something unique about that, and he's getting at something like that, right like like trying to not be what everyone thinks you should be. and I wonder if if you see religion as like necessarily part of Kierkegaard or as just incidentally part of it.
1: It's tough, I don't know,
0: yeah, because he is Christian, but at the same time you read it and you're like, well,
1: I don't think that that informs much. His philosophy mm. he informs the way he expresses it, I believe, Yeah. in the fact that he uses Abraham and this kind of... of, of uh, I think the concept of faith has a lot to do with him, but mm-hmm. I don't think that the fact that he was Christian, uh, the fact that he was Christian actually would... Um, makes a big difference.
0: Okay. He was Christian second, right? Would, he was the philosopher so. first.
1: I would think so. Yeah. But even... But can we really separate the two things? I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't want to hmm. – not being an expert, I am uh, – on cut, I'm a little bit – I don't want, like, right, getting right. getting angry emails from somebody who's like, God, you don't right. understand anything about this. <laughs>
0: because <laughs> cause I, I always used to ponder this, like, it seems like a lot of what he's saying, maybe most, if not all – of. well, maybe not all, but most of what he's saying, you can find valuable as an agnostic or an atheist.
1: No, from that perspective, yes, right. and I mean the proof is in the pudding, meaning that I mean you're
0: sitting here right now, well no, uh,
1: <laughs> yes, and also I'm thinking the fact that we're saying that it's difficult to differentiate it from Nietzsche, mm. which is the anti religion guy, the anti right would say exactly well himself is yeah, right, that. <laughs> so that would that will kind of you know prove the point that it's that comes after that's conceptually um second, we can mm. say to to that, um but again i don't i don't i don't want to i don't want to claim that it's it is absolutely has nothing to do with it but right it's it's it seems like the the
0: christianity is really there but it's more about a the kind of christianity and b the way he gets there
1: yes and i think that what makes me think that it's difficult to separate the the, the two things is that the themes that he uses and again and at the end of the day, even the terminology, right, seems to be very uh, Christian-like, right? Yeah. When he, when he talks about despair and anxiety, this has something to do the, the with religion, right? Mm-hmm. Um,
0: the sickness unto the si- death. Exactly. And, yeah. All
1: these things, they, ha- they seem to be connected with the, um, with the concept of religion, with, with, the, with the institution that we call religion, mm-hmm. with the, the discursive practice, practice, whatever lingo we're going to use, mm-hmm. that we call religion. And this makes me hesitant to say, well, it's secondary, it's primary. It's it's there. Yeah. I don't that's, think that's true. I don't think you can have Kirker without No, no, yeah, that's absolutely right. Um I
0: guess I meant like so let's say you have I think of it not a stupid abstract example. <laughs> it's like okay, you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich yes. and then it's one thing. Yes. And you can't have it without the peanut butter or the jelly. Or the jelly yeah. But it's like in one instance the peanut butter is on the bottom and the jelly is on top.
1: Oh, then yeah, yeah, that, from that, the, yes, right, of, and course. Then of
0: course. That's kind of
1: what I meant. Of course. Um and do you think that those concepts that I was mentioning before like despair and and anxiety um I think they travel also throughout the the existential tradition. It's not they're not just proper of Kierkegaard, so to speak. They might take different names, but they're present, absolutely, um, in in all other um, philosophers that we can, we will call existentialists, right?
0: Yeah, I I agree, and that one more thing I want to say about Kierkegaard is the Christianity seems to be related to transcendence. So I think he has this this great respect um, and fascination with the idea of transcendence of like becoming more than what you are. Yes. Right. And this is the individualizing aspect. So if you see, uh, as the line in Unconcluding Scientific Postscript says, leaping over the scythe of the leveler and into the arms of God, that's a mode of transcendence that sets you apart from one else.
1: Which is interesting once again because it, yeah. it, it seems paradoxical, right? Because to become fully an individual, you got to lose yourself in the transcendence, right? Yeah. Be- in the so, transcendent, I should say, right?
0: Because it's like you lose yourself in the universal. Exactly. And then you have to leave the universal and go over and above it to the transcendent. To the
1: transcendent. And then, but then you're. Getting in the arms of God, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you eventually become one with it. Hmm. But that's also when you individualize. It's like yeah, like you become an individual for a second, for a fraction of a second, and then that's so true, right? It's
0: like you you're one with God, and I, and this makes you an
1: individual. Yes, hmm. which also means that you're not just an individual. I don't know.
0: Well, I guess it means you're you're more individualized than those who are not with God. So maybe in this literal, like, categorical sense, you you lose some identity, but relative to everyone else who hasn't made that leaf, you display this element of, of courage.
1: Or you, and also you have reached those level of authenticity, which you were talking about yes. before, because with God, you can only be true. Yes. Right? So this the idea that you need to kind of be in there, right? It's like in front of God, you're naked, so to speak. That's... Oh, you are.
0: Yeah, and again, so you said it's it's these concepts like despair are relevant and dread always, right. and so a lot of people will be like, oh, you know, if you're the person that cries in the the hospital room and prays to God, this this signifies some kind of weakness, and that's a an unhealthy way of dealing with despair. And Kierkegaard would agree that the the average person who like You know, I only go to church on Sundays. I don't know anything really about the theory. Um, I don't really live it. But I selectively am this fair-weather Catholic. Like, that's not good. So he agrees with these people, right? Um, So he's trying to figure out a way that we can deal with dread
1: that's more authentic, right? I think that the first question that we need to ask about this category, and we can start with dread, is are they really... So when we think about somebody that is experiencing dread, right? We're thinking Mm. of a negative experience. Yes. Well, instead, from my understanding of it, in existentialism, that's not necessarily a bad thing to experience dread because it's a step towards authenticity. It also is like
0: not... How would I say this? It's just a given of existence when you're actually engaged with it, right? So if you're legitimately... Attuned to the f- the fact that you are being mm-hmm. in a certain way, that dread is just built in. Yes, and so it's not bad. It just it just is.
1: I remember, I remember talking about existentialism a few years ago with one of my students, and they came to office hours to mm-hmm. kind of grasp better this thing. And after I said something similar, I was like, "So basically, it's the philosophy of the emo people." <laughs> <laughs> Like that's embracing funny. the fact that embracing it that you're gonna be into this store tread and yeah, angst that's all some the good time. good stuff. I
0: say it goes back to the cure.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm into that. Yeah, it's uh, um, but it's it's interesting. It's this this validation of the fact that sometimes you gotta feel that way that it is part of who you are. And paradoxically, if you never feel that way, something is off. Yeah,
0: like if you if you only are happy. That means you're not thinking. Exactly. Right? Like There's something missing from your experience that's preventing you from feeling the full burden of being, do you think say.
1: That, do you think that that's similar to, like, kind of ignorance is a bliss kind of thing? Oh, yeah. In in that sense? Definitely. That you're missing a level of understanding of reality, and that is why.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kierkegaard had this funny saying, because, like, okay, so he, he wound up getting with this woman, Regina, who he thought was his love because she was beautiful. And then he got with her, and, and suddenly realized that oh well, love is more than this initial attraction. And then he got really bored with her, yes, because she was so unphilosophical. He called her a surface dweller. Yes. And then he just went mad and wrote all these letters about how she was like annoyingly undeep. And he has this line, something like, "I could be happier in my unhappiness <laughs> than I could with her," and that's yeah. so
1: interesting. And that is also so bad, right? You, you don't. I mean, this woman must have been like the most boring person on the in the universe. Yeah, Can yeah. you imagine? Be remembered in history as as that woman. As that woman. <laughs> oh my god, that would be bad. Um, but yes, it's interesting, though that there is this idea that there is that need of hmm. of depth and that need of of whenever whenever it is depth, there is dread and despair. And I'm wondering, like, there's something.
0: I've been reaching too far. There's something kind of Greek about that. And the idea that, you know, eudaimonia, for example, in Aristotle is not just, as we said, I ate a cheeseburger, I went to work, I had small talk, and I'm happy. It's like you have to f- understand and feel things fully and grow as a person. And it seems like, in some respect, they also value this their version of eudaimonia. Mm-hmm. The true. virtues are different, of course. True,
1: but. true, true, absolutely. I'm wondering, and whenever we talk about this, it's true, there, is, there might be this connection with with the Greeks. Um, especially well, Nietzsche would say mm-hmm. with, with the Greek with the pre Socratics, right? Mm-hmm. Not so much after, because after is the dictatorship of reason, right? We right, got right. there and with played old Socrates and Aristotle, they they made a mess. So yeah, I can see that. And again, Nietzsche will agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um I'm wondering also if, again, this this idea though, on, on forgetting. Of course, the, the existentialist and especially Kierkegaard would agree with what we're saying, with the dread that needs to be there, needs to be present. I wonder though if we believe that that is necessary in order to express some sort of that. Mm. Do we do we really believe that in order for you to be thinking, you need to be in a dreadful state? Once in a while. Are you asking me? Yeah, sure, of course. Um, It's just me and you, so. (laughs) Yeah. And, and of course, you know, it's hard to to make this.
0: Yeah, so this is, I was always super, super fascinated by existentialism. Obviously, level one when you're young. Yes. And you have this quasi-understanding. And then I think a lot of people are like, oh, so it's just that thing that, like, 17-year-olds think. And then. You know, they disband it. But if you come back to it when you're older, it's very, very serious and has a lot of truth in it. And I do think that there are these givens of existence that are almost so serious that they can't be expressed in language. Like, they're just felt. And you know these moments of dread where, for example, if you're in a hospital room with someone, I always think of this, and and one of your loved ones a real loved one right now, just a random family member, is dying. And you walk in that, like this happened to me before, you walk in the hospital room and then you make eye contact with another person in the room. Nothing is said, but there's some kind of communication of something very, very, very deep felt. Absolutely. And I think a lot more of life than we typically think is that. It's not only the loss of loved ones, but it's... It's the loss of innocence, right? It's it's the presence of change. It
1: is the movement of time. So you're saying that within existentialism, um, there's this idea that there's more that cannot be said. There's more of the irrational, we can say. Just things you can't control. Things you can control. Yeah. So, sort of like the unconscious aspect of hmm. our existence. Is that what we're saying? I don't know. I don't know, because unconscious obviously
0: has, like, all this baggage with it. Um, But I do mean...
1: Not to kind of be verbalized? Going to be...
0: It's, like, deeper than language, right? And that's how you know it's real, which is weird, because usually we think the opposite, and I stress that in my class all the time. Like, if you can't explain it, you don't get it. But there are these really impactful moments. Like, if I were to compare it to Kant, which... Already some people are going to be like, you don't get it if you're comparing to Kant. So Kant says there are these, these categories that just always are, right? By, by virtue of you being a subject with a certain mental yes. apparatus, right? And for him, it's like space, time, causality, unity, plurality. It's like, let's keep that idea, but with things that are really impactful. So love, loss, angst, absurdity and trying to cope with these things and i mean these are the things that define you right it's like you have these pivotal experiences in life and these are the things that stick with you and that shape you as a person and and i I, i'm going to contend again that i think these really serious felt unspoken um moments of dread are more prevalent than we acknowledge and and this is something heidegger picks up on
1: Um I can agree with that. I'm just um, so just like you. I was fascinated by this when I was younger, and coming back to it, eventually I got attracted to it again. Mm-hmm. But then there's something off. There's something. <laughs> there's. There's. I. I'm like. I have. I have some issues, and not so much with Kierkegaard or Nietzsche, for example. Okay. My issue is more with Sartre, uh. especially him. Yeah. And a little bit with Heidegger, too. Even and and I, you don't like Camus, right? N- no, I don't even... I, I He's not a philosopher. <laughs> I don't even mention it. It's like, that's out of the equation. Great writer. Mm-hmm. I, love the, the, <laughs> I love the the novels, but I don't think he has much to add. You're going to get some hate mail now. Mm, that's Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. You're going <laughs> to get like a dirty cigarette sent yeah. to you.
1: But seriously, I think it's just... A, just a different version of Sartre. like yeah. a, he summarizes some of the things, but again, it's just me. Um, Maybe you just happier than me. <laughs> and Heidegger, uh, I, I, I'm not. I mean, that's my boy. I don't think, I don't think it's as good. I don't think he's an existentialist mm.
0: the same Ooh, way. I'm excited to continue this.
1: The same way the others are. Okay. I think is, oh, and I think it goes in your direction, actually. I think it's more a phenomenologist than mm. than, an, than an existentialist. And, Which and is already an interesting distinction, right? It is, but I think they are two different things. Ooh, okay. Um, and even though both of them deal with the experienced life mm. rather than everything else, right?
0: Yeah, so, okay, so we talked about Kierkegaard and some general components of existentialism and gave some hints and now I think we're hinting at some of the stuff we're gonna talk about next time. Yes. Which absolutely. I'm excited for. All right. <laughs> All right.
1: See ya. See you later. <laughs>